Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode 55. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. It's been quite a while actually since we've sat down and done this. Uh, yeah, for you guys, I mean, you've been getting your stuff every single week, but what you might not know is that Matt and I actually took quite a bit of time off. I think this is the first time we've gotten together and sat down to record in somewhere between two to three months, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a while. So Imagine we did this live. Yeah, I know. Maybe we should do it live. I would love to do it live. If we could get enough people... We'll do it live! <laughs> if we could get enough people who would actually be interested in listening yeah. to it live, that would be awesome. I mean, if that's... Yeah. If you guys ever want to do like a, a live Q&A or something... Just... Yeah, for months I've been mentioning a live Q&A and I think that'd be tons of fun. It's only if... I don't know if anyone would want to come play with us. Yeah. Or also we could get people to like live stream their roles and we could just critique them and call them garbage while they're doing it <laughs> yeah we'll leave that for rory <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've still never met this guy yeah i don't he really feel the need to but he wants to roll with you i know he does <laughs> he wants to rape you in during your role is he actually any good Everyone... oh yeah rory's super good okay bring it rory. I mean, he's not as good as me and he never will be that's true but yeah he's good for a tall lanky he's like size over substance right yeah he, he's not very technical he's all size <laughs> yeah <laughs> Does he just like do triangles and nothing else? Yeah. So he's a he's basically a stereotype. Obviously pulling his leg. Rory's got a very good guard and uh, we stalemate a lot of the time when we roll. So love you, Rory. Check out Rory's new DVD, Grapple Arts. I don't even know what it's called. It's, guard re- it's on guard retention. I, I think it's the guard retention formula. Okay. Guard retention formula. Yep. How original. I wonder how well that's going to work if your legs are not like five feet long. <laughs> I do have a hell of a time passing his guard. I find if I go upside down, though, it's like a better chance. Yeah. And if you want to pass the guard of something that someone that big, you kind of need to like pack some snacks and some water because it's quite a distance to travel. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, it occurred to me as I was off on vacation and we've been off for quite a while, like I said, but it occurred to me we've somehow gotten over a year into this and we've never actually done an episode about passing guard which seems like an oversight. It's probably because Steve has never passed someone's guard. It is true. You don't need to pass the guard if you can sweep and submit from Turtle. Just go there and just make it happen. That's true. Yeah, so I I guess today, you know, we've talked a lot about retaining guard and playing from guard, but today we will talk about passing guard, or as our Brazilian friends call it, the guad. The guad. (laughs) So now that all of them have tuned out and stopped listening for the rest of us, I guess we can talk a little bit about this. That's okay. They got to go feed the hogs. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) 
bad. <laughs> it's, hey, it's not that bad. That was, uh, was it, Paul Harris's whole excuse for his attitude, right? It's like, look. I grew up on a farm, I, I dirt was, floor. I was, I was a pig yeah. farmer, so it's okay if I don't let go of submission. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no one taught me you need to let these things go. My dad was yeah. a poor pig farmer. And to our fans in Brazil, if you're listening and this offends you, I mean, we, no one needs you, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> just just have fun with it actually <laughs> send I, us some hate mail <laughs> we won't be able to understand it because we don't speak yeah. portuguese but do yeah. it anyway google translate will figure it out yeah. yeah i'm actually a fan of paul harris i think probably oh i love mo- i love yeah. paul harris mo- one of my favorite guys to watch most people who i, I don't have listen. to fight him <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those guys that uh you know you enjoy from a distance you would never want to get anywhere within like the same like a, a 10 kilometer radius of that guy but anyway um so in terms of passing the guard matt um we don't really have a structure for this but i was thinking maybe we could just talk at a high level about strategies that have worked for for you for me i mean for me i remember a, one of the pivotal moments for my game i used to get stuck in people's guards all the time like i think most people do and especially guys who like to like tie you up in spider guard or some sort of lapel thing right it's did so- you say talk at a high level yeah. Well, hi, You're talking to the wrong guy here. <laughs> hi, speak at a very low level, blue belt at best. Yeah, I guess that's true. Okay, we'll, we'll dumb this down to like a first day white belt level. The first yeah. thing you need to know is what a guard is and yeah. then how to pass it. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the one thing that I remember my instructor once told me is that there's kind of like an order of operations to the guard. There's... First of all, you have to, step one, you have to disentangle yourself. The mistake a lot of people make is they try to pass before they've actually broken or dominated grips. So you wind up in a situation where the other guy has got some sort of dominant control over you, but you're just so desperate to pass that you try to force it and you're almost always going to get swept, right? Mm. Uh, the second thing is you need to establish control. You need to be in a guard passing position that you can actually hold, right? You don't want to turn this into a scramble where you cannot control your opponent's movement. I mean, uh, an example of this, for example, is if you're trying to knee cut someone, you don't want to just throw your whole body forward without paying attention to where your opponent is. You need to, to some extent, hold your opponent on the ground where they are because you don't want to get them to come up on their side and dogfight you and then single leg you, right? The mistake that I think many new people make is they get over-enthusiastic and they just gun it. And that's that can mm. be a mistake when you're trying to pass. And then the third step is you actually do the pass. Like only after you have disentangled, dominated the grips and established a control situation do you then start thinking about trying to pass? Where a lot of people get in trouble, I believe, is that they go for the pass when they don't have the dominant grips or when Mm. they cannot guarantee that if they go for the pass, their opponent is going to stay where they are. I think that if you don't check those two boxes first, it's going to be really, really challenging to actually complete a guard pass without looking like a total dumbass. Yeah, I mean, it's so much to unpack here. And now thinking about the composition of the episode, we may, it might have been smarter to do like a gi episode and a no gi episode. Because let's they just are... do gi because no gi sucks. And oh, if anyone no. if anyone here no. does no gi and is listening, I don't care about you uh, at all. No, we can't do that. We got to talk about no gi. Okay. It, there there are things that are different, right? Because yeah. I think the guard changes depending if it's gi or no gi. I believe a lot of players in the gi at you know the highest level will play. Uh, like an outside channel game, like a De La Hiva hook or closed guard or even like a half guard, you know, or one in, one out. <clears throat> Whereas Nogi, a lot of the time you're playing 
you know, you get stuck in the one in one out position or you're trying to get the inside channel from the guard position because you're usually looking to elevate and get to leg lock. So the game does change depending on the rules and if there's uh, the, the gi to grab. Um, I, I, t- I, th- I totally agree with what you were saying, Steve, about <clears throat> about uh you know those those checkpoints for passing the guard and the gi uh like you mentioned you know if you try and pass when your opponent has dominant grips from the guard it's kind of like doing judo with someone and then you're trying to throw when you have basically no grips or you've been out gripped and uh that's that's kind of what i'm trying to study now when i'm watching judo tapes is how how do you grip to get yourself into a dominant position before you can throw and exactly and, and the same sort of thing happens when you're trying to pass the guard there's no you know if it, i think a real common example is if you get caught in a delaheva and the guy has a collar grip yeah you know yeah. It, the collar grip is it's basically a direct um i mean, can't call it a lever but it's a it's it's, it's like a noose around your yeah. neck and it, it it is a control point directly related to your head and spine so if you let someone have that grip you know they're going to be able to hang off you and off balance you and since playing open guard pretty much entirely you know relies on off balancing to be able to make techniques work you know you really have to make sure that you can deny your opponent the ability to grip you and off balance you so i think um you know dealing when i'm approaching someone's guard we've spoken about tempo before and trying to get into an offensive situation from the top before your opponent can even grip you up and then that way you're going to be able to you know dominate dominate the sequence and basically just form them uh, force them to be defensive and frame as opposed to grip um and that you know it ta- if you don't have someone telling you about this stuff it's going to feel real hard to guard pass because you're basically just going to be going in there blind and that's what a lot of beginners do is they just yeah. throw all their weight in they pay no attention to the gripping sequences that are happening and that's why I find uh, passing the guard in nogi is actually simpler because I agree. there's because yeah. you know I, I used to think that passing the guard nogi is so much harder because there's nothing to grab onto, but now I think it's actually much more basic what you're trying to do because you actually just have levers to deal with, exactly. whereas in the gi you have grips to deal with, right? Um, but but uh, it, my main two things I think when you're approaching the guard are obviously win the grip battle, so try to try to push the tempo so your opponent can't grip to off balance, but they're just framing, and then the second thing would just be your your alignment in general approaching an open guard whether you're in the headquarters position or you're in a single leg x position you know that the most important thing is that your body is is positioned in such a way that you're not easily off balanced mm-hmm. at the moment so that you can break a grip and, and immediately start transitioning because if you're if you're bent over i mean it's you know it's pretty obvious when you're grappling with someone you can tell by their base posture and structure that uh, if they're experienced or not you know, if, if someone has horrible posture and you have like a Delahiva with a collar grip and ankle grip, they're going for a ride, you know, and generally the way I think about that is what position is their spine and head in, you know, if they're bent over, you can just send them so easily. But if someone is, has their hips engaged and their uh, back and posture straight up and their spine is like a straight vertical line, it's much harder to off balance someone and break their posture. So these are all the things that you're looking for when you're on the bottom. And uh, those are the things you need to be successful, at least to just hang out inside of a guard before you can start to mount some kind of an attack. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there that you brought up that I, I think is worth discussing maybe a little bit further. One of the things you mentioned <clears throat> right at the beginning was that the gi and no gi have very different considerations when it comes to uh, passing guard. Now, yeah. gi and no gi have pretty different considerations across the board, but I yeah. think they are particularly amplified when you're talking about trying to pass the guard. Because the main difference is 
in, like you said, in Nogi, you've got really five different possible levers that you have to worry about. When you're passing the guard, most of the time it's only four because you're probably not going to be able to grab the guy's head unless he's inverting or doing something weird. You can. He's playing like sit-up guard. You can, but it's definitely not as like accessible, but you definitely can. But so you've got kind of like four primary concerns and then one secondary concern. And what that means is because the number of variables are small, you don't have a lot of things that you can really do there, but, and the other guy doesn't have a lot of things he has to watch out for, but it just means you've got to be super good at all of those options because there are less variables at play. The problem with Guy is there is so much stuff that happens in Guy and there's so many options. In a lot of ways, I I kind of feel like to pa- to be a good guard passer, you don't even need to be particularly skilled at any one of these individual techniques there's just so many things that could go wrong for the guy on the bottom that if you're trying to pass the guard you have a lot of things you could do that could surprise your opponent and put them in a position where they're now suddenly on the defensive and the other thing to your point is the importance of grips in the gi like they, the grip can be the grip fight can just completely paralyze the other person. It's like um it's like a fly in like sticky tape, right? I mean, the thing that's frustrating about try, dealing with guard passing is so much of the importance of guard passing is that engagement phase. And in gi, it's like if you break the guy's grip, mm. he can just re grab you somewhere else in like a millisecond. If you're talking about someone in, in nogi, I mean, it's it's very hard to actually grab and control a lever in nogi. <laughs> and if you manage to break the guy's grip, then his ability ability to regrip is a little bit reduced but mm-hmm. in gi it's like man the guy grabs your collar and you break it and then he's got your sleeve and then you break that and then he's got your pant yeah. leg, and then he's got like the gripping sequences are so much deeper in the gi yeah it's very very hard to just stop someone from gripping you in the gi like I, I find actually that grip breaking is kind of a waste of time it's just even if you succeed at breaking the grip the guy's probably just going to regrip somewhere else and there's likely going to be a second where you've exposed yourself by focusing Focusing too much on that grip. I find the better strategy is trying to maneuver your body so that that grip is no longer that effective. Like basically, you know, by like switching angles, for example, yeah, you can that's really maybe important. reduce the effectiveness of that grip. Probably the best example that you touched on is like if someone grabs your collar, if you're leaning forward, that's really, really bad for you. But if you do straighten your spine and establish posture, his collar grip becomes a lot less powerful. Mm-hmm. So I find kind of like changing the angle in a lot of ways is a better strategy when you're dealing with the gi. I mean, another example, we were just talking about this with a, with a white belt at my, at my club the other day is if I can grab your foot, for example, from, from bottom, I can make your life a living hell. If I can get like a good foot or, or a sleep, like a pant sleeve grip on the bottom. Um, so if you do need to put your foot anywhere in range of your opponent, you, you probably would agree with this. I find I never want to lead like foot first. I always want to have, if I'm standing up, I always want to have my knee in front of my foot. I never want to have a situation where my foot is out because then my opponent could just grab it. So, yeah, I mean, it depends what kind of style you're playing. I think in the gi, you definitely have to be careful where you put your feet um, just for that that exact reason. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, in no gi, like, it, it, um, again, I'm going to, fillet gordon ryan here and just talk about how amazing his instructional is as i've done in the past but his instructional is a nogi passing right and um pretty much most of the sequences that he starts off with he sticks his foot in the middle so you mm-hmm. you get basically a headquarters position on one side you got the headquarters on the other side you got the he calls it the split squat which is basically like the knee cut right. position right um <clears throat> 
this is where a lot of pretty much almost all of his passing starts from is getting the inside uh, one foot in one foot out whereas in the gi if you do that you basically give up De La Hiva or yeah. reverse De La Hiva depending on how you're on the angle you and your opponent are so it changes right like your approach will change if your partner can reach you and just grab you and then hang off of you like in the gi your guard passing approach has to be modified whereas if your partner can't really hang off of you easily with a sustainable grip um then you know you you feel a little bit more safer throwing your leg in the middle there because it does do a good job of denying a lot of leg entanglements and also well, let me let me clarify a little bit what I mean here, because I'm not saying don't put your leg in the middle. I actually pass from headquarters like almost all the time, even yeah. in the gi. What I'm saying is when you do put your foot forward, you want to generally be driving forward a bit with your knee. You don't want to like just stick your ankle in the guy's face where he can just grab your foot. No, right? that's true. That's true. Like always. I mean, we, we've talked about just basic lever theory, like keeping keeping the end of your levers away from your opponent or trying to deny the ends of your levers to your opponent. Um, but yeah, like in, in, in the gi, if you're playing guard, it's very easy once you get a grip to just hang off your opponent. You can pivot off and sort of hang, swing off of them and lapel guards, all types of different guards. Whereas in no gi, it's like uh, now we're finding a lot of what the Danaher guys are doing is they're looking to off balance to create limb extension. Mm -hmm. So that's a fancy way of saying, make him post on his hands or whatever. And that, and that is how they're opening up a lot of sweeps. They're coming up with single legs from the guard and, and getting submissions and leg entanglements by off balancing. So, you know, the, the concepts are really the same. You, in the open guard, you always want to keep your partner off balance, but just different ways you can do it. Right. Like we should, we should probably do an episode on, direct control versus proxy control mm -hmm. I don't, have we done that yet I don't we've know. talked about it but we haven't done an episode directly on it do you want to explain briefly for people what that means yeah sure so direct control would mean you know i'm to and this is all terminology from rob bernacki again uh my my filleting of great instructors never ends on this on this program but got to talk about how rob is just basically you know the re the reason i have i use the jargon that i use when i speak about jujitsu but you know direct control referring to direct lever control so in a no-gi set scenario when there's no clothes to grab onto you know taking direct wrist control or snap downs accessing the head as a lever or you know grabbing the foot direct lever control whereas proxy control is uh, you know you're using a tool or uh some some sort of you know in this case is clothes to create a grip that's not directly um attached to the person's body mm -hmm. and you know proxy controls it takes time to develop it as a skill uh and also developing different gripping scenarios but um there's m many more options that you can use when you're grabbing the gi and i mean you know a lot more options to play guard i think as yeah. opposed to a no gi scenario where it's pretty much snap down you know hip heist or come up on singles and it's i find it a lot more simplified in no gi whereas gi <laughs> the options are almost infinite for what you can do yeah and another variable there is when you're talking about proxy control meaning you're not grabbing someone you're grabbing something that is stuck to them you can have either a very tight proxy control or a loose proxy control and those have different considerations as well like if i'm grabbing your collar so tight to your skin that you know it's like you, you can barely move there's no slack on it that is different from if i have a loose grip on you because then you can move around a bit and that has its own pros and its own cons, mm -hmm. right? There are some times, for example, where I might want to establish a really, really tight grip on you because I need to be able to move you around or I'm setting up a, 
submission. But sometimes I want to really loose grip on you because a loose grip can be harder for you to break, mm-hmm. right? If I'm grabbing really tight onto you, then if you jam my fingers, I might lose the grip. But, um, you know, I, I use this a lot. For example, if I'm trying to pass and I've got a grip on the near side collar, I might intentionally leave it loose or even the far side collar loose because that way, yeah, the guy can move a bit, but I know he also can't jam my hand and just pull it off because there's too much slack there, right? It's the same as how, like, um, if you're looking at lapel-based guards, uh, you know how with, like, worm guard generally it's pretty tight you're pu- you're trying to pull the lapel so tight around your foot that there's like no slack at all but there's also that variant of lapel guard where basically you just like grab the lapel and put your foot on it and that one sucks because it's so loose that like you can't break it easily right it's like yeah. you pull on it you're trying to take the slack out there's yeah. so much slack you just can't break it and that's another consideration so like the, the rabbit hole goes even deeper when you're talking about dealing with the grips within the the gi and that's i think another reason why passing is so much more nuanced in the gi there's uh, i mean i I don't know if it necessarily definitely is there's it's definitely more nuanced i don't know if i'd say it's easier but i'd say there or or harder but i'd say that there's a lot more moving pieces that you need to become aware of Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's more frustrating (laughs) not gonna lie (laughs) it can definitely be more frustrating yeah um you know and, and we're talking about keenan like with his with his worm uh, you know, his lapel guards. I've been studying his lapel encyclopedia for a few weeks now. It's, it's friggin' awesome. Um, sorry. And, and I've noticed that like, I can make it work a lot of the time in training. So the guys that I can't like get to my worm or get to my reverse Della worm or all these intricate positions, I at least can use the lapel in the intermediary stage that you mentioned, Steve, mm-hmm. to at least stop my opponent from passing. Yeah. And then if they do start to put on the pressure, I can always either recover my guard with the lapel or I can just revert back to a, a traditional guard that I'm used to. So it's like I've mentioned before, it's like a a whole other layer uh, onto your guard, which is really awesome. Um, and and there's one thing I saw that you know we're talking about proxy and direct control. I've seen Keenan recently. He did a he did a video on his it's on his YouTube channel. It's about how how he's you know it's a new leg drag that he did, and it's really awesome. He he actually takes one hand and grabs the pants, and the other hand grabs the lever directly. So he's got a mixture of both direct and proxy control. Is this on the same leg or like on? It's the- on the same leg. Yeah. It's it's the huh. it's the leg that he's dragging, and and when he drags the leg to the side the way he's gripping the pants it's a loose grip but because of how he grabs it it sort of wraps around so the guy can't pummel his foot inside yeah, it's, it's yeah, a yeah. really cool grip it's uh, i definitely recommend checking out keenan's um youtube channel as he's he's got his school now legion i believe it's called in san diego and he's releasing a lot more material um and yeah he's a really good instructor yeah there's so. there's something to be said about the power of having a loose grip it took me a long time to really understand that like you don't always want your grip to be super tight sometimes you want to have it loose because it's i guess it's kind of like trying to tame a horse right you know you have to give them some slack and let themselves burn themselves out and then eventually you tighten the noose and tighten the noose and tighten the noose and and, and it, the thing that I find particularly is as the guy on the like on the bottom I mean if god if you can grab the person's lapel like you don't even need to be playing a particularly sophisticated lapel guard just by grabbing their lapel like it's a really frustrating experience because it's like if you grab my collar I can just like basically break your fingers right I can just take the slack out and punch your hand and And you can posture out of it too and I can posture but if you grab my lapel like it's so freaking loose that no matter where I go now I've got to deal with this thing I mean and because there's so much nuance in terms of gi guard passing, the thing that I find is in the gi, like a relatively competent blue belt who is 
maybe not the greatest across the board, but maybe they've studied one very particular type of guard. Um, they can be frustrating even to a good black belt mm-hmm. because there's just so many variables at play. I mean, in no gi, I, I know that the number of things you're going to do to me are relatively limited, but in the gi, it's like, I have no idea what you're going to do. That's all the more reason why funneling is so important in the gi, because you've got to start taking away those options from your mm-hmm. opponent. Um, I actually, something that I do is I intentionally go into headquarters position in the gi because I want my opponent to go to try to pull Delahiva on me because at least then I know what he's going to do. And I've worked my Delahiva defense a lot. So at least then, I mean, if I, if you're just standing in front of me and I let you do whatever grips you want, I'm kind of at your mercy because you're dictating the pace. But if I just walk into headquarters and I give you one leg and then I, I hunker in, I know you're going to pull Delahiva every time. So mm. if I'm ready for that, I can immediately then start playing the game that I want to play. So yeah, like sometimes loose grips are good. Like if certain collar chokes, you want to leave that slack in yeah. there to uh, the, the cool thing about the lapel guards that Keenan's doing, like he's got the intermediary phases, he calls it, which is basically, uh, you know, before you've set up your worm or, or your squid guard or your reverse Della worm, it's, it's, uh, it's like basically the lapel using the lapel as like a frame and you can yeah. lasso your leg in it. It's really cool. And the, and the great thing about that is it's, it's interesting because the, uh, the lapel grip, like you mentioned, is really hard. Like you can posture on some, on some people I've had issues breaking their posture if they, if they're very aware, but for the most part, you can break posture with it quite easily. And you can also get rotational control with, yeah. the, with the lapel as well. So not only, not only is it sort of bending them over, but it's also pulling them to the side in a yeah. way. And, and that's where it becomes really effective. It's like when a boat has like too much weight on one side and it's kind of like just sort of teetering. It starts over to the teetering. Side. That's it's, right. Yeah. It's uh, a very, very powerful <laughs> form of control. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I actually, and we've talked about this before, I firmly believe that all that lapel guard stuff, like if you want to talk about gi-based jujitsu that might be applicable in like a self-defense situation, I think the lapel stuff is way better than spider guard. I mean, I think most people would agree that spider guard is not really useful in self-defense. I would go so far as to say it's not very useful in jujitsu. <laughs> like I, I hate yeah. spider guard. It's going to wreck your fingers. It's yeah. Generally... I don't use it too much. Like pure spider guard. I barely yeah. play anymore. Yeah. If I go there, I'm transitioning to something else. Exactly. But, and purely because my, my fingers are exactly. weak. But lapel guard is legit and your odds of self harm are pretty low. Like, I mean, you're, you're grabbing, you're kind of loosely grabbing this one piece of fabric with your entire hand. So your fingers aren't even really at play here. Uh, I generally encourage anyone who is more on the the grippy side of jujitsu to look into the lapel guard stuff. I mean, even if you don't wind up becoming some sort of like Keenan disciple, I think it's good for everyone to at least play around a little bit with worm guard, play around a little bit with basic lapel guard. Because I remember the first time I saw worm guard, I thought like, this is some crazy, overcomplicated, fancy thing. But then when you do it, you realize actually it's super simple. Yeah, like, it's not that hard actually. It's if, easy. If, yeah, if, but you do want to learn it from someone who like, like I, I would say I'd recommend learning it from Keenan because if you learn things from other people, you're, you might pick up some stuff, but you might also pick up some bad habits yeah i'd start with his stuff and then go and take yeah. a look at what other people are doing and fill in the blanks see how people are evolving yeah. it but keenan's stuff is a great source to go to and if nothing else you want to support someone whose dvd has such awesome box art <laughs> oh i know yeah it is awesome yeah literally the greatest jujitsu instructional box art of all time i don't think it will ever be beaten it's sistine chapel right but it's it's god passing his lapel <laughs> yeah. off to keenan <laughs> absolutely brilliant um 
Yeah, I think that the one big takeaway in terms of the gi stuff, though, is, in my opinion, in the gi, the engagement phase of guard is the make or break phase. You know, we yeah. we talked about the three phases of guard. I would argue that the maintenance and even the retention phases are less important than the engagement phase from guard because the grips are that critical when you're trying to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you if 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 it gets to phase two and you don't have good grips on the bottom, you're you're essentially all defense at this point. So, you, you exactly. know, you're, you're absolutely right about the engagement phase stuff. Uh, and, yeah. and, and in Nogi, you know, if you if you get in phase two and you don't have grips and even in phase three, it can be quite well, depending on how your opponent, how knowledgeable your opponent is in at immobilizing you and their, their guard passing strategy, it can be easier to regard because there's not a lot of grips. Yeah. I, I after watching Gordon's DVD, I do agree with him that I think a lot of people don't really know what they're doing when they uh <laughs> when they're passing guard in no gi. I yeah, I, I think I a lot I think a lot of guys come from a gi background and they try and use certain passes that work in the gi but they don't work in no gi. Yeah. Like a butt flop pass. If you do that in no gi, it's like like let's say you're in headquarters you try and do a butt flop pass that pretty much only works because you have a grip on the leg and a grip on the collar you try and do that nogi and you're not immobilizing their head and shoulders at all you're just going to end up in a scramble or you're going to end up getting swept you know there's certain things that don't work um in 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 nogi that work in the gi and that's why i think it's important also like look at the best in the world right now gordon ryan and see what he's doing to pass the guard it's actually really simple the way that he breaks it down you know, so like some, he steps in the middle and then he basically, I think, uh, and you know, if I'm getting this wrong, please correct us with hate mail, but basically he's, we love hate mail. Yeah. We actually don't get nearly enough. Yeah. I, we're I, trying, God damn yeah, it. We're, we're doing <laughs> what we can here, but you people keep sending us these love letters and Hey, I appreciate it. But you know, it gets frustrating after a while when the, the news, like the mailbag every week is we love your show. Like, can one of you please contradict us? You know, you said you people <laughs> You're trying to get us deplatformed here. Uh, well, we, we already alienated the entire nation of Brazil. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And GB. Yeah. It's true. Um, oh, but, God. but yeah, so like he has, he, Gordon basically says like, when I approach a guard, there's certain goals that I have. And I, I don't want to misquote him, but but essentially once you enter that position where you've got like one leg in, one leg out, he's looking to either go chest to chest, um, expose either, uh, well, Rob just refers to it as a submission. So it could be like a, you know, a two on one lever control, like a Kimura style pass or even a guillotine pass. Um <clears throat> So using a lever, uh, like a submission based pass, getting chest to chest or getting back exposure, yeah. like you're, you're, you're forcing your opponent to turn away into turtle or whatever. And then you have the, you, you know, have the chance to get the back. So it's, it's, it's really important to also think about, um, if you can't get chest to chest and your opponent's creating frames and whatever, then that's when Gordon starts doing his loose style pass, which mm-hmm. is going to be like float passing and, and things like that. And then, and then mixing that up with tight passes. So let's say you, you know, your knee cutting or you do get chest to chest with your partner and you have an underhook or double underhooks, then you can really start to lay on the pressure. So these are all concepts that I actually didn't even know until I started watching the DVD. And then I realized like, oh my God, I've been, I've been doing this wrong. Like I've been trying to pass Nogi, get my leg free. Like let's say I'm trapped in half guard. I've been trying to get my leg out of half guard for years without even trying to immobilize my opponent's head and shoulders. 
And that's mm -hmm. why you get close to finishing a pass, but then they regard right away because, uh, yeah, because they have the ability to turn into you. Right. But that's why I, I Kesakatama you every time you because, don't. Yeah. You know, every, every single time. This doesn't happen. It, it happens. Um, but, but now when I try and pass, I don't really even care about my leg being trapped in the half guard because mm -hmm. I know that my goal is to get chest to chest and to pin it, putting all the weight over my opponent's head. So once I can do that, like leg pummeling and freeing the leg becomes really easy right yeah. and also what gordon does is he looks for the inside position so like it's simple just like if as if you were pummeling and wrestling you can pummel the upper body by getting underhooks or you can pummel the lower body like getting inside butterfly hooks from the top position and this again will play a huge role in denying uh your opponent the end of your levers and denying them a lot of leg entanglement so yeah. it's like man getting if you, if you want to get good at passing in nogi I, I, gordon's dvd is just it's sick a lot of what you're saying too is applicable to gi just as well i mean if, definitely if definitely. i'm in half guard the first thing that i want to do is try to immobilize my opponent's head and one of his arms i don't really care which one but i want to immobilize at least one of them so that i can prevent him from turning onto his side in a way that i don't want mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that's just as applicable in the gi i mean the only difference might be instead of getting an underhook and like a cross face you might be just grabbing a collar and grabbing the lapel but the idea is the same right you want head control so that you can manage the distance and so that the guy can't get underneath you and you also want to have control of one arm so that you can mostly keep him on his back right mm. yeah pretty pretty interesting uh, i don't know if you've heard the last matt burn podcast where they, they had lock i don't support those it. guys yeah those guys don't even know what they're talking about no just adcc medalists yeah. and world champ uh, nogi champ do you think that lachlan looks like a frog no he looks like a velociraptor that's why his nickname is velociraptor okay i thought he kind of looked like a frog yeah he kind of reminds me of the frog i think all aussies look like frogs it's kind of true except not anymore because all the frogs in australia are gone now yeah. bye bye uh, so i guess australia <laughs> is now also on the list of countries who will not oh, be listening to this God. podcast <laughs> sorry australia and i hope you get your forest fire sorted out yeah. we're, we're oh, here man. in bc and we actually had a good year this year but yeah, a lot we, of the time we we get a we lot get, of forest fires yeah here. yeah forest fires are a massive problem <laughs> up here but at least we also get a lot of rain too so man it yeah. just sucks to hear what's going on down there and only you can prevent forest fires so yeah i don't know if the australians have those commercials maybe that's how this happened yeah is they yeah they, they just didn't have those commercials there. so they yeah. they didn't know it was their responsibility we, we should stop trying to be funny we should probably not <laughs> we're probably there are probably people like listening to this and like weeping right now and we're really not helping sorry guys or we're gonna go to like nogi uh, or sorry mass i, I want to go to masters worlds with like bjj mental model shirt on people are just gonna punch me in the face randomly <laughs> hey you're mad from bjj mental models hey <laughs> fuck you no uh, I just want to mention. Um, uh, oh yeah, well Matt he had, yeah, Matt Burn. He, they, they were talking to Lachlan Giles, and and they had a really interesting chat on like uh, strategies for when your opponent does pass your guard in an IBJJF setting. So, and um, I knew that this th that this rule exists, except I didn't realize that uh, I, I I didn't realize how valuable it really can be. Like if you get your guard passed and you lie uh, facing your partner and you have your hands up for frames you get three points scored against you, right? But if you turtle, you, yeah. you, give, your opponent, you give your opponent the advantage, right? Um, but I, I thought that if your opponent flips you over again, that you would actually get the points uh, that, you, no. that you wanted, but you actually don't. So, uh, but you do run the risk of getting your back taken. But well, maybe you do. Yeah, well, I'm on your back every time we roll. Quit talking that shit. But uh, Keenan was saying, yeah, he'd rather take his chances, you know, trying to defend, uh, prevent, and escape the back as opposed to. <clears throat>
as opposed to uh, like turning into your partner when you get mm-hmm. your guard passed and maybe giving up like a neon belly or, you know, they can do all those top spin options as well. So for those of you who are less familiar with the IBJJF rules, if you get your guard passed, turtling is not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah for the scoreboard yeah i mean turtling is actually a pretty viable strategy when it comes to blocking the guard pass and something not and it's not even just a point thing like if you are fluent in that position you can actually do a shocking amount of damage to the guy on the top positionally from turtle um and this is actually something as you're passing that you need to be aware of like from my experience almost anyone who knows what they're doing they know when they're about to pass and they're going to turtle and that's got to be part of your passing strategy right when i yeah Absolutely. When I talked earlier about how you've got to, you know, step one is disentangle, step two is control, and step three is pass. That's what I mean when I say control. Like, you've got to know that when you try to pass the guy, there's a, if he can turtle, he will turtle, uh, either turtling towards you or turtling away from you. And if the guy is good, he's not going to just let you hop on his back after that. So it's probably going to invert right away. And then you're going to have to pass an inverted opponent, which is totally sequences that you need to have answers. for. Yeah. Yeah. So my suggestion is when you're setting up that pass, when you get the grips you want and you're engaging in a pass, I try not to complete the pass unless I, I can answer in my head what am I going to do when this guy turtles? Because I know he will one way or the other if he can. So I try to make sure in, in the gi, for example, that I've got a lapel grip on one side or the other so that if he like turtles away from me, I can just pull it and rip cord him right back to where he was. Uh, that yeah, and I, the gi, it's, I find a lot easier. It's a you, lot easier. You have like, like I always take the horse collar. That's probably yeah. my favorite grip from that position. And then the other hand is usually either controlling the hip or even like a pant. When you, when you like say that. the horse collar, you mean like the grip on the, like the scruff of the neck. That's right. Scruff grip, of the right? neck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically the, the like made in Pakistan tag that you grab at the back. Of the, oh, there's God. a third now country. Paki- <laughs> now Pakistan hates us. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys. Uh, well, the good news is we don't get a lot of listenership from Pakistan. The bad news is we get a lot from Brazil and Australia. So, oh, God. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. What country should we attack next? Uh, I'm thinking it's got to be a European country. There's a lot of them. You know, we haven't really directly offended any. Maybe the UK. They might be good. We get a lot of people from the U. Although they also buy a lot of the patches, too. So oh, I don't do know. they? Yeah. No, we don't want to. <laughs> we need those. <laughs> don't want to disrupt the gravy train. <laughs> we need those toonies to keep coming in. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I agree. Like when you're playing in the gi, a lot of the time, the answer to the turtle is make sure you've got a grip so that when the guy turtles, you can pull him back. But in no gi, probably the best thing is like, be ready to go immediately to your back take or be ready to go right through the pass to North South or to the other side. North South is awesome. Yeah. That's a great, I I think we've talked about this before, but the guys are so good now at either retaining and recovering or pulling turtle when you try to pass. So (laughs) something that works very well is instead of passing into side control, pass and go right to North South or pass and go through North South to side control on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's very, very powerful and no gi I find because you don't have the Mm. benefit of a lapel to grab onto. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, Gordon mentions, like when you get deep into the, into the passing stages, like if I just, uh, am about to free, like, let's say I got like double unders and I'm about to free my leg in a knee cut position or something. He mentions how, um, you know, to, cause it's so easy, especially in Nogi, it once you pass the guard for the guy to get his hooks or get, get, get your leg trapped 
in some way, shape, or form, and uh, and make the space to get their guard back. The, the the things that he does that's helped me so much lately when I'm passing is once he frees his leg, he tries to push your the your opponent's hips away from you. So mm-hmm. like pointing your opponent's knees away and keeping that space between your hips, uh, you and your opponent's hips uh, tight and keeping contact hip to hip is uh, is a really good way to prevent them from like shrimping out and getting a hook back in. Mm-hmm. Um, so using like uh, like circling, you know, when you're in a leg drag and you can sort of circle your legs away from them and crushing their hips to the other side yeah. is, is like a really sm- smart idea. Or you can uh, p- just uh, keep his head and shoulders completely flat. That's a really good way to, to start, you know, looking for your next attack. And then lastly, just if your opponent's looking to shrimp and get their knees in, placing a wedge separating their legs from their from their uh, their knees from their elbows whether it's going to be like a neon belly or it's going to be your uh, arm or it's going to be your head some some part of your body is going to occupy that space and that's going to deny them the ability from getting their frames back in play yeah we talked about this a long time ago but really the the way to break someone's side control is you've got to stick a wedge between their arms and their legs you've got to kind of like look at their body like a pizza and cut it right in half down the middle because if they can reconnect their arms to their legs basically they're going to get out they're going to have they have that elbow knee connection and then they can get out so the critical thing when someone is in side control on the bottom is you have to have a wedge between the arms and the legs usually like around their stomach so they can't reestablish that elbow knee connection Mm -hmm. i actually find now when i when i try to pass I pass directly into neon belly. Like yeah, I try to pass and I, I get like right neon belly up. a lot. Um, yeah. Cause from there I find it's very good to deal with someone who's scrambly on the bottom. You're so mobile too in neon belly. Yeah. yeah. And that also has the benefit too of killing that elbow knee connection. So it makes it much more difficult for the person to close that space again. Once your knee is right in the way and all of your weight is pressing down on them. Yeah. And, and passing someone, you know, it depends sort of like, you know, who your instructor is and how you learn how to pass the guard. But, I like how Danaher describes it, where it's like you want to you want to mobilize portions of your your pers- uh, your partner's body by creating wedges, right? But you also got to keep in mind that like, in a nogi scenario, it's going to be very hard to always immobilize your partner. So you have to al- also be willing to um, you know play off their reactions and let them move a little bit sometimes, yeah. so that you can get back exposure and get limb exposure and things like this. So. Um, you know, ha- having a side control that's purely based on just hunkering down and stopping your opponent from moving isn't always the best, yeah. you know, is, it's not always the most practical thing. Sometimes, you know, they're going to move uh, mm-hmm. depending on who you're fighting. So you do have to have answers and, uh, and have mobility. That's why I like North South so much is because you can move so much from there and, and there's so many different options. Yeah, and, and coming from Island Top Team, you also like to just hover your junk over the other guy's face because that's one of your core principles, right? That's right. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The barbecue position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i was i was i was going over some north south stuff with rob <laughs> and i was like hey i like that's to, one way to describe it yes and i was like oh i like to put my head here like next to his hip and put my shoulder on his belly he's like yeah that's good but you know really flexible guys will be able to invert and take your back you know so so what you got to do is put your head right over his penis <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> and it's true if you put yeah, your head yeah, yeah. over your partner's groin it stops the inversion and and that uh you know that in that really flexible guy back take that people will do from the north yeah, south gets yeah. stopped if you do that so i'm like oh that's 
that's a there's limitations to the uh, like north south choke position where you're basically like chest to chest on the guy because yeah it's it's not even just that some guys will do like almost a backflip and get on your back, but some it, you're not really controlling the guy's legs either mm. or his hips. That position where you're kind of hovering on top of him, I, th- I think in judo they call it the four corners position, but we basically call it the barbecue position, right? Where you're you're basically you're sixty nining the guy, and you're the, it has the benefit of pinning both his shoulders and his hips pretty good and it also sets up for a lot of nice arm submissions whereas so many different options from there and just the transitions from there like if yeah it's it's good it's a good idea to get you know later in the 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 retain uh recovery phase of guard like to have your options planned out as the guard passer think okay he's if he inverts i'm gonna do this if he if he shows me his back i'm gonna do this you know if he's on his side i'm gonna do this different options and then just have those predictable reactions yeah i remember when i uh, you probably feel the same way but like when i started jujitsu side control was death like if if someone passed and got to side control it was like the end like side control was the worst position and i don't know if it's the game changing or just me changing but i find now that side control is just not as dominant a position as it seems to have been even just a few years ago like it used to be that if you got someone at least if i got someone in side control i could just have them there for the rest of the day if i wanted but now i i barely even rely on side control at all it's just guys are so dynamic and so mobile and they understand that as long as they're constantly moving, it's very hard to hold someone That's in true. side control. Yeah. So normally I kind of just side control is just a pit stop for me on the way to mount or knee on belly or north south. I don't want to hang out in side control because I know that if the guy on bot on the bottom just constantly shifts and moves around and doesn't let me just drop my weight on him. Mm-hmm. Like if he has the, the foresight to understand that just by co- not stopping moving, he can just completely shut me down. Like it's just not a good position to be in. I don't want to be like trying to crush a guy who won't just sit still it's very hard to do even against much smaller people yeah a good side control is a mobile side control definitely definitely Uh, so yeah i I think that kind of the more modern game usually means when you pass you're not just settling in in side control you're normally already on your way to the back or to north south or to neon belly or to mount Uh, side control just I, i don't think is a reliable enough position against like Anyone above purple belt, rather purple belt or higher, it's going to be a real challenge to hold them there. Um, for more junior people, maybe it works, but yeah, against experienced guys, they're just not going to. They're going to be too fluid. Do you think part of that, like you're you were saying, how you think that it was easier to hold it before and not now? Do you think that's because the general level of jujitsu is getting to a, a point now where it's much better than when we started? Like it 10 sure years feels ago? like it. It sure feels like it. I mean, when when I started, like let's be honest, the resources and the quality of material now ridiculous. infinitely better than when we started. Yeah, a decade ago, there were. I mean, I when I started, if you wanted to learn jujitsu. There were a handful of sites, the biggest of which was Submissions 101, and we've already talked enough about that. About how awesome Ari is. <laughs> but even just going beyond that, if you went to buy like real instructionals, there were most of the people, it wasn't like any, it was all no-name people. Some like guy who from Brazil who no one had ever heard of, who just happened to be first to market to make this DVD. Yeah. And the op, the options for schools were also much more limited too. You know, jujitsu hadn't really spread as much as it, as it has. So I think a lot of it is just... 
it's a much more competitive landscape. It's harder for ideas to to thrive. Like bad ideas get killed easier. Whereas it used to be that <laughs> and if you if you knew any anything remotely related to jujitsu, it was just like an incredible amount of knowledge. But now it's more of a pressure cooker. And yeah. it's, it's easier for bad ideas to get called out and shut down. Yeah, there were there were instructionals back then. Like I do have videos from from when I started. But the way that the instructionals are laid out are nowhere near as organized as some instructionals nowadays. I think mm-hmm. Rob's, the format that Rob does is the easiest to learn from. And the ones that uh, Stefan does are the easiest to learn from. Even the BJJ Fanatics one, like as good as Gordon's instructional is, I find that it's still at times difficult to navigate mm-hmm. just the way that it's set up. The The content's amazing, but just the the way that it's set up is is only so-so. And I also feel that like nowadays we're seeing way more conceptual jujitsu, which makes a huge difference as opposed to before. Like I remember uh, seeing an old instructional from Brawlio Estima Mm -hmm. and all it was, was him for an hour just talking in front of a camera and being like, if he does this, I like to do this. Basically an interview, right? I like to do this. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, he, he does does he show cool stuff that you can learn from? Yeah, but there's no like framework. There's no structure that allows you to uh, like organize your learning. Yeah. Whereas Rob's is like, that's all it is. This is like super structured. It's really easy to retain. You know, so the conceptual uh, age that's happening in jujitsu right now, I think is, is a huge part of why we're seeing people getting really good. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it really feels to me like when you look at old instructional content, it felt like the point they were trying to achieve was to like make a DVD with a few dozens or maybe even hundreds of just like oddball techniques, basically to show how all the cool stuff that you knew, like it wasn't, it felt like a lot of those old DVDs were just like a whole bunch of weird, crazy, exotic techniques. Like you wouldn't get a DVD and they'd be like, here's an hour on how to actually systematically do a triangle properly. It would be like, no, here's some crazy weird wrist lock that's never going to work. But it's like, well, like I want, I want to put something on this DVD that people haven't seen before. It felt like that was kind of the goal was just to make something, you know, show cool techniques, even if they weren't necessarily the best. Whereas nowadays it really feels like most of the content is, it's not talking about crazy stuff that you haven't seen before. It's just systematically breaking down ideas and yeah. concepts. And it, they might just be talking about like guard stuff that we've all been talking about since white belt, but just digging deeper and maybe putting a framework around it. So it's, yeah, yeah it's very much a different way of thinking. And I, I think it kind of shows the maturity of the the whole art as a whole, right? That people are kind of starting to philosophize about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons why I found guard guard passing so challenging um, up until like brown belt was that I learned guard passing the way that most of you probably did, which is, you know, I go to class every week or every day or whatever. And there's, you know what, some days there's a guard passing technique. And so we review, okay, here's exactly how to pass Delaheva guard. If these 12 things happen exactly as they're supposed to. And so I try to memorize that. And then I try to memorize a hundred other variants of weird stuff, but I don't have a framework that ties it all together. And like I mentioned, the big breakthrough moment for me was when my instructor kind of sat down and said, just think of these three things, like just disentangle control pass, do it in that order. Nothing else really matters. Everything else is just a, an example. Uh, but that's kind of the strategy you need. And that interestingly, that very clearly mirrors 
what Rob has talked about, where he talks about the three phases of guard, right? He talks about engagement, maintenance, and retention. And those are basically the inverse of, of the passing, right? There's kind of three steps on the top and there's three steps on the bottom. Uh, and I found that to be a very helpful approach. Um, I think that, yeah, to your point though earlier, in the gi, the thing that's going to make or break you is the engagement phase because the grips are so critical. Uh, whereas in no gi, it's you, I think you kind of just have to understand at a very, very deep level exactly what's going to happen and when because there's fewer options, but you got to be better at everything. Yeah, in terms of teaching guard passing to students, it's like they have to know what a Toriando is. They have to know what an X pass is. They have to know what a leg drag is, right? And they have to rep those moves individually. But if you're just doing that and you're not giving them any uh, live targeted sparring time to to gauge and to memorize predictable reactions, then those, yeah. those techniques are not going to be nearly as, as, uh, valuable to them. So like, yes, they need to go through the motions and sort of figure out what it is, but then they also need to know what are the things that my opponent's going to do to defend the leg drag? You know, what are the different types of leg drags I can do? What are the concepts I need to do to get to the position to do the move? And then even after the pass happens, maintain the position, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like the, the three phases that we talked about, you know, you have to think about like, once you pass the guard how do i make prevent my opponent from turning in and getting their their hips in again yeah, right yeah. so what what are the concepts that lead me to those things so i think like uh the way that uh jonathan thomas and even keenan sort of talks about when you're talking about drilling is get those main repetitions in and then allow for some targeted sparring time for your students because yeah. then that's going to allow them to be able to th- think okay well i know that if i leg drag you there's probably going to be a high leg coming up, right? Like that's, that's kind of the main response to you. So what can you do in that position? What are the other passes that you can go for from that position? And, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I think the best, the best way to pass on jujitsu techniques to someone is when you're drilling is really incorporate a lot of uh, live target sparring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in the particular case of passing the guard, Something that I wish people had told me and had me drill a lot earlier in my career is just the notion that there's no rule anywhere saying that you have to walk into your opponent's guard and let them tie tie you up. Like, I think that you can save yourself a lot of headaches, especially in the gi, if instead of just like ambling into your opponent's guard like a zombie, you just don't let them get guard. I mean, if you don't let them... Stay on the outside. Yeah, if you don't let them lock up an actual guard and you get a decent pair of grips, you can usually just walk right around the person. It's like... It's like, you know, the the only, the best way to win is to not even play. Like, why would you walk into someone's guard where they now have mm-hmm. all of these offensive weapons that they can use to make you miserable? If you can just not even get tied up, that's the best strategy by yeah. far. Yeah. And if you start on your knees go to a different school. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it to some degree, as long as people understand. Two guys sparring, starting on their knees. Really? You're okay with that? <sighs> starting on the knees, not, sorry, starting on the knees, not necessarily, but I'm okay with like one person starting for on for, in like open guard and the other person being on their knees. I think yeah. that the problem with both people being on their knees is it kind of turns into like Godzilla fighting where people are just like rocking each other back and forth. And that it. position doesn't exist, nor can it count. And uh, it's not a scorable position. Like you don't don't get any Should points <laughs> it's so stupid <laughs> yeah you can pass on your knees against like a butterfly guard yes but you you will be uh limiting your mobility a lot but I, i'm not talking about that i'm talking about two dudes two dudes on their knees they do the uh what what, what are they called the uh, it looks like sumo wrestling right no no what uh i can't remember when they bow to each other in judo what do they call that i, I don't know 
uh, anyway, so they bow to each other and then they just start wrestling on their knees. It's like that position doesn't doesn't exist in in a real fight in jujitsu competition. It's just not going to happen. Like practice your guard pull or practice a takedown. But um, but yeah, if if you do that, you know you should be shouldn't be going on at your school. Yeah, I when, whenever some, <laughs> something really like that happens, I just immediately either stand up or pull guard. Like it's yeah. there's no learning benefit in two guys trying to sumo wrestle on their knees. Yeah. And it's it's amazing um uh you know, if you're on top passing someone's guard and you're in a headquarters you know, sometimes I'll watch videos of of my matches or whatever and I'll just be like, "Man, I'm just like standing in front of the guy." Like I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing in front of the guy and looking for an opening. But because I'm not really being dynamic, it's easy for him to just frame and and try yeah. and off balance me. So I think what's better is like if you're passing on top, being dynamic with your footwork. You know, either working, moving side to side and changing the angles of your of of his hips, or even just changing the angles of your hips. So that yeah. that that changes a lot. You know, just um just how you which which way your knees are facing it, it can make a huge difference just to pivot on the spot and totally change the angle of your trajectory that's that's a really really good point if you're ever in a position where you can't basically you can't move you're like you're like stuck in position this happens a lot especially in the gi because usually it's usually it's the guy going for like some sort of like spider thing or something or delahiva um but if you're ever in that position usually the option it the best solution is to try to just constantly switch your hips and change the angle the mistake a lot of people make is they start trying to like pry the foot off of them or pry the, the arm off of them that's not the best strategy it's more a matter of just constantly shifting your hips because that prevents your opponent from establishing some sort of meaningful way of pushing against you mm-hmm. cool anything else you want to add matt no i do not sweet okay so but just, we should we i mean we could definitely talk about this more in depth like uh maybe we do an episode on gi versus no, might be an idea that proxy be, versus no, uh direct control yeah it might be a good idea to, to especially talk more about that because we've never really covered that in depth um so just to recap the the mental models that we did discuss today, we talked about inside channel control. Now, to Matt's point, um, in Nogi, you often want to have, you know, if you're the guy in the bottom, your strategy may be to try to get inside channel control. In the Gi, it's much more common for guys to try to get outside. Like De La Hiva Guard, for example, is a situation where the guy on the bottom is going to try to wrap his leg around the outside. And the reason they're able to make that work is because if you combine that with strategic Gi grips, it actually becomes mechanically very powerful. We talked about dictating the pace. So important when you're trying to pass someone's guard. Uh, general rule, if if you are in someone's guard and they are dictating the pace, that is not the time for you to even think about trying to pass. You've got to find a way to get the tempo on your side first. And usually the way to do that is to navigate and win the grip fight. There, there are exceptions, they require but, tremendous timing, though. They're, they're like, yes, and dynamic movement. Yeah, there, there are windows of opportunity where, like, for example, the cartwheel pass is probably a good example, where if if your timing is good, you can kind of break the rules by basically just like hopping over the guy. But that's more of an exception than it is the rule. And it can also go terribly wrong if you make a mistake. So yes. it's one of those things that's based less on mechanics and more on speed. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it's 
really more of an exception than it is the rule and also for you know if you're teaching beginners a general rule of passing guard you probably want to talk about addressing grips as opposed to doing dynamic passes i did while your opponents gripped uh gripped up i did somersault pass a guy today i basically just did a somersault right into him i knocked him over with my ass in his face and i passed to the north south yeah that's nice bragging about passing white belt eh it was a blue belt, but he was like tw- <laughs> he was like sixteen years old. So you know, <laughs> nice. They don't have that grown man. Yeah, strength they don't have yet. Old, they don't Perfect. have old man strength. So you can just throw your body at them, and oh, they can't do anything. This is great. Yeah, uh, we talked about grips dictating position. This is so critical if you're trying to guard pass, especially in gi. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I generally suggest you think about guard passing in three phases. Phase number one is disentangle. Phase number two, control. Phase number three pass um if you cannot disentangle then you're going to have a hard hard time getting any further through the person's guard so don't even think about trying to pass until you've won that grip fight we talked about direct versus proxy control just to recap direct control is when you actually grab onto a lever on someone's body like their arms or their legs or their head in uh, proxy control uh, is where you grab onto something that is tied to their body, like the lapel, right? Basically, if you're talking about something involving the gi, it's going to be proxy control in almost every situation I can think of. We talked about funneling, um, which is where you have a game plan that reduces your opponent's options and tries to get to a situation where you can predictably understand what's going to happen and it plays into the kinds of techniques that you are superior at. So the example I gave earlier is I'm pretty confident in being able to pass Delaheva guard. So sometimes if I'm trying to pass guard, I will go into a position that encourages the other guy to pull Delaheva because at least then I know what he's going to do and I know I feel comfortable in that area. We talked about the phases of guard. So this is a Rob Bernanke concept. Uh, the first phase of guard is engagement, which is where you're effectively grip fighting. The second phase is maintenance, which is where this is really what most people think of when they talk about the guard, like you're in a quote unquote position or type of guard. And the third phase is retention or recovery, where you are in the process of getting past. Most likely your legs have been passed and you're kind of trying to do your put up your last stand to try to recover your guard or turtle before your opponent completes the pass. Just turtle. Just turtle. We talked about the elbow knee connection, uh, a very powerful structure where if you can bring your elbow and your knee together, you can block or at least halfway defeat most types of passing. So and if, you can support tremendous amounts of weight. Exactly. So if you are trying to pass someone and you're having trouble, one of the first things to try is to put a big wedge between their elbows and their knees. Like neon belly, for example, prevents your opponent from connecting your elbows and knees, which makes it extremely hard for them to recover a pass. Uh, but you don't have to use your knee. Like if you're trying to pass, you can also just put your hand in between their elbows and knees a lot of the time, depending on the angle that you're at. Uh, or it could be your butt even, right? Like there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. We talked about shifting platforms. So uh, with with side control, for example, if you're trying to drop and crush someone on, on top in side control and they're constantly moving and shifting, it's going to be almost impossible for you to hold that position um, rather than trying to just rely on your weight and just hunker down, probably in your best interests to go directly to north-south or try to move towards the back or side control on the far side or even get up to near be- neon belly or mount. And last but not least, we talked about predictable responses. So uh, Matt mentioned this especially, that one of the big problems with 
traditional instruction is you're given kind of a technique of the day and you drill that, but you drill that in isolation. So you're not really sure what to do and you're not experienced with situations where what happens if your opponent does X, Y, Z or, or what are the things that are likely to happen after I try this technique? So getting some reps in a realistic situation is important because that's going to allow you to know what happens if my, my plan A fails. And against a good guy, your, your plan A is probably going to fail most of the time. Yes, cool. especially if it's me, boy. Sure. Didn't didn't I taint sweep you last time we sparred? I think you you dojo maybe. stormed us, and I taint swept you. Yeah, and then I I stopped sparring before I could get embarrassed. <clears throat> yeah. I, I was rolling with my instructor today, and I pulled turtle, and I swept them, and then I pulled turtle for like five minutes, and he basically kept trying to flip me over and turn me upside down, and he couldn't, so I just annoyed the shit out of him. Basically, I think he's mad at me. Huh. Every time I you turtle on me, I have my way with you yeah it's true that's true yeah i mean that is one thing about turtle is you're exposing parts of the body that may you may not want to expose under certain circumstances yeah especially to someone from island top team because you guys are a bunch of deviants (laughs) actually on that topic (laughs) so uh we got a question i don't know if it's really a question but let's read it anyway Someone Hopefully wrote, it's hateful. It's actually not. Someone wrote in and said, a whole episode with Rob and not a single detail on taint-based techniques or the concept of the metaphorical or philosophical taint. For shame. I demand a refund and will report you to the Scrotum Symposium. Seriously. A refund <laughs> yeah, of a free yeah, podcast? You can have your zero dollars back. <laughs> Seriously, though, great episode. Thanks again for your tireless work. I recommend you guys and Rob to every BJJ interested person. P.S. Any chances you are coming out with stickers in the theme of your logo like the Pat Huh. That's a good point. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're they're easy enough to make. Yeah, so. I'm I'm gonna look into that because like some I'm thinking like some car decal quality stickers yeah. so that they're waterproof and they you know they won't like fall apart. You can put them on your water bottle or your car or whatever. Or your, hey, if you want to put one on your car, I appreciate that, but I certainly don't expect it. Or um, on your taint. <laughs> maybe we should make like BJJ mental models temporary tattoos that people can put on the taint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, I will definitely look into that. I know that those are a pretty cheap and easy thing to make. So let me see what i can do steve tell the folks at home what a taint is yeah so a taint is what is the scientific name for a taint? it's the moment between the scrotum and the butthole no but there's actually like a scientific name it's like the perineum or something like of course the scientists gave this a name but yeah basically it is the like two inch or so sensitive area between your your butt and your genitals and for some reason matt and his team have decided that I didn't decide anything, man. (laughs) Long long and short of it is that if you basically leg press someone in the taint, you could get some pretty good velocity. I love when people are like, is that legal? How can that be legal? I'm like, well, you could just get swept. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like it's, you're, you're not on, it's not like you're going to do this on top of the guy where you just stomp him in the taint. Like where you do that, that would be illegal. That would be illegal. Where you do this is you're on the bottom and you grab the guy's legs and you prop him up with your, basically your heel in his taint. And he has two choices. He can either see what we have here is a dilemma. (laughs) (laughs) He can either endure that or he can get swept. And from my experience, most people choose to get swept. Yeah. It's very, very effective when you're playing like single leg axe guards and, and Nogi Della Hiva guards yeah. and things like that. It's actually not nearly as dirty as it sounds like it is, but it is uh, it's super it, effective. It is ultra, ultra effective. Um, and I'll, I'll, I find a lot of the time when I actually do that technique, it's like, it's not really like you're not really like kicking the guy in the taint or anything. It's just your, your foot is kind of like checking his thigh so that 
when you tip him over, he can't go one way or the other. So. Really? I disagree. I try and stick the blade of my foot into the man's <laughs> asshole. <laughs> you, you have to. Well, you guys are the experts on this one. So yeah. the amount of people who have actually wrote in with taint related questions is kind of, I don't know if it's inspiring or disturbing or both, but apparently this is a real thing. So maybe that should be the next DVD that you guys make. Do you yeah. think you could convince Kesting to make like an instructional just on... I mean, Rob basically did. No, <laughs> no Gi Deli Hiva formula. Yeah. So you that guys is... should check that out, by the way. It's awesome. Yeah, th- that is basically the uh, the place <laughs> where I learned it from is Rob's No Gi stuff. You know, Rob, Rob of course, is... Um, He's been practicing Delahiva guard a lot in Nogi, which is something that traditionally is considered not to work so effectively. Uh, and he was able to find a way to make it work. Now, I highly suggest trying that that instructional series. But if you want a spoiler, it's the trick is you you basically kick the guy in the taint. And that's <laughs> how you get the leverage can. as hard as you yeah, can. You have to. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that ties it up. Um, Matt, I, I guess in terms of plugs, we should plop, probably uh, plug Fushida, huh? Oh, yeah. So... Um... We got some cool gifts from Fushida Canada. It's actually a local brand here, and they they do specialize in judo uh, gear. But recently what they've done is they've really opened their website to have a lot of BJJ stuff. I got this awesome black belt with a white bar, which I finally have now. Um, for those of you who don't know, I believe the, the white bar signifies a, a competitor. I think that's um, the intent. Yeah. And it, it's a relatively, um, it's, it's a relatively underused thing. You know, a lot of black belts in jujitsu, basically almost all of them have the red bar on them. Yeah. You're but, seeing more and more of it now, uh, in competition as yeah, you see yeah. the white bar. Um, but also they hooked up these cool black belts that are flat black belts. They're actually judo black belts, but, um, kind of the cool thing to do in jiu-jitsu now is to wear a flat black belt and uh, mm-hmm. i gotta say these belts are sweet they are rugged like those belts look like they could like survive a nuclear apocalypse they're pretty tough yeah very nice belt uh want to just give a shout out to the owner and um <clears throat> the i guess the proprietor proprietor <laughs> of fushida canada christo van ruyen really appreciate this awesome uh these awesome belts and i definitely recommend anyone if you need a high quality belt in jiu-jitsu check out fushida yeah, actually canada. funny you mentioned that i got my first fushida product back when i was i think a blue belt i got a fushida gi and man those gis are awesome and they're, yeah. they're super reasonably priced too. Um, and I mean, for us, you know, Fushida is a local company, so that's how I heard of them. But they, uh, I believe there was one year um, where they were like ranked as like the number one gi in the world. Uh, they, their gis are freaking awesome. I highly recommend giving them a try. Um, the belts too, can't complain about the belts. Great quality stuff. Um, yeah, Fushida is a really, really great company. Yeah, you gave me a Fushida gi once, I believe, for Christmas. I think so. Which is awesome. Yeah. And I also have a gold weave judo fushida gi and if you're not used to wearing a food uh, oh. a, a, a judo gi it is weird man it is they're like so, they're so like starchy and so stiff. heavy yeah no yeah. i it, it, it probably weighs like over 10 yeah. pounds i remember the first time that i sparred with like a judoka who was wearing a judo gi and i was trying to grab their lapel and i was like what is this shit this, is got, <laughs> this has got to be cheating like, yeah it's like trying to like grab a like a piece of cardboard there's no bend in it at all but like, yeah, yeah those, those judo gis i mean man i I'm not a judo guy, but I got to think that like looking at how badly jujitsu people's fingers get messed up, like having to grab onto and throw someone with fabric like that, like that, that is no joke. Those geese are rugged. Yeah. But I got to say, Fushida makes some awesome, uh, awesome products. Yeah, so they thank you do. very much, Christo, for the black belts. Cool. Appreciated. Appreciated very much. It was about time I got my black belt. You know, yeah. I've been training really hard. Yeah. Well, not really that hard. I've been making the podcast. That's something. 
Yeah. Yeah. You've been contributing in other ways. You're doing well. I try. Cool. So uh, going back onto that topic in terms of other things that we want to plug, of course, if you want to support us, bjjmentalmodels.com slash store is where you can pick up our patches and our t-shirts. bjjmentalmodels.com slash join is where you can add onto our mailing list. BJJMentalmodels.com is kind of the website mothership. That's where you, that's kind of our launching pad for contacting us or all of this other stuff. Or if you want to see our database of all of these concepts that we've talked about here, we document them there in more detail. And of course, if you want to reach out to us, you can also find us on Facebook and on Instagram. Right, Matt? Matt's got a very perplexed look on his face. I'm not sure what I'm he's trying really hard not to pee right now. Uh, every fucking episode this happens, it's but you, coffee and water. you made it like an hour and 10. I'm really impressed. Should I just drag this out longer and longer? And longer? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's look at the map. What other countries don't we like? <laughs> Peru. Yeah. You're on notice. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Take guys. care, Matt.